Welcome to Creative Conversations, the Tiger Spirit podcast where I talk with real people about creativity in their life, business or artistic work. I'm your host, Yang Mei Ui. I'm an author and podcaster. Today, my guest is Cheryl Robson, founder and managing editor of Aurora Metro Books, which specialises in publishing fiction, non-fiction and plays. I started out our creative conversation by asking Cheryl Robson what inspired her to start Aurora Metro Books. Uh, well, Aurora Metro grew out of some writing workshops that I used to run at the Brill Hall Arts Centre. Uh, the workshops generated a lot of material and we wondered what we should do with the prose and poetry. Um, we had uh, put on play readings to share the drama that we generated, but we wanted to do something with the prose and poetry, and so we decided we would have a go at publishing a book, and we were encouraged to do that by two women. Uh, one was Carol Spedding, who ran something called Feminist Book Fortnight, and the other was Ros Delanerol, who ran the Women's Press, both of whom were mentors on the project and um, guided me through it. Gosh, how amazing. Um, so it sort of came out of just, um, let's do this. <laughs> uh, did you have experience with publishing before? No, I'd worked in television before and also had trained as a teacher. Um, and I was working with two other teachers to run the workshops. Um, and we had theatre directors and various other people um, connected with theatre more than literature in the workshops. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, a new venture. We had to learn new skills, but it was at the sort of dawn of desktop publishing. So, you know, we felt we were up to the, <laughs> up to the challenge. And um, as a result, our first book, which was called The Women Writers' Handbook, uh, was a sort of practical guide to how to put on your own writing workshop and also um, it had samples of the work that we'd uh, generated from running the workshops in the book. Um, and that went on to win the Pandora Award from Women in Publishing. Oh, wow. So we were further encouraged to do more. And so then how did you, I mean, from a standing start, um, it must have been incredibly daunting. How did you kind of um, get the, I guess, um, you know, get, gather that momentum and sort of launch beyond just the one book? Well, initially, because it was done collectively, it wasn't um, that hard. The difficulty, of course, was in ruling people out who were in the group, whose work wasn't finished enough. Um, and that upset some people. And handling, uh, you know, people's emotions around were they going to be in the collection or not was quite challenging. Um, and we went on to publish a few books collectively uh, before uh, I kind of just carried on doing it myself um, or with one other person because it was really just, too hard to make a collective decision about on editorial matters. It really had to be one or two people 
making a decision. And, and sometimes you had to make quite hard decisions, you know, about what you could fit into a book and what you couldn't. And, and it must also be, be, be difficult because if it's work that you as your collective and your group were producing the work, the decisions had to be make, uh, made around that as also a collective, the same people are publishing. Um, I can imagine that must have been very difficult. It was a little challenging, I must say. And um, I found that the ideal situation is to work with one other editor on a book um, because then you can really have a good discussion and be open about, you know, what you really think about a piece of work. Um, and also listen to somebody else's point of view because writing is such a subjective thing that just because you don't like something doesn't mean it shouldn't be in a collection. Um, it may, you know, it may really appeal to somebody else and they might really engage with it. So, um, especially with poetry and, um, you know, short stories. Yes. It's I, very subjective, your I, response to it. I'm listening to you from a writer's point of view, of course. Um, and as a writer, I'm I'm sitting there all by myself with my book and my stories and I'm writing away. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and then I send it off um, to the outside world um, and to a publisher. And you get all this sort of feedback and you go, ooh. And it's quite difficult. It's, a, it's quite hard on one's pride and one's sense of one's creativity to hear uh, sometimes some of the feedback um, but actually what I've learned is that where there is that the feedback in, and it's from a professional like a publisher um, who knows their staff uh, or an editor then you're um, you're going to make it better um, and so it's quite a challenge and a growing experience <laughs> uh, as a writer to to allow somebody else to give feedback and then to work together with them collaboratively to make that piece of work better. Yes, I think that's a very good way forward because it's hard to be both audience and creator of something. Um, it's good to have feedback. It's good to rewrite. It's, it's good to try and develop things. Very few um, good, good books arrive fully formed in the first draft most of them go through six six seven drafts or more um, and yeah, a lot of the novels I've published have taken 10 years to write goodness so me. a lot of work has gone into them and how closely do you work with your authors to develop it into something um, that you feel actually now now it's ready uh, well, it depends on the uh, manuscript, obviously, but we do work quite hard and quite in depth. And, um, you know, things can go through three or four drafts after they've been submitted, uh, which, you know, a lot of writers send it in and they've already done half a dozen drafts and they've had a professional editor look at it and they've applied all the changes that that editor has said but of course when it comes to publishing something then um, it's a slightly different setup because it, the publisher is actually investing their own money and taking the risk and they will want to make sure that the book uh, really reaches the audience it needs to reach 
And sometimes that's difficult because an editor may not have thought about the genre and the sort of expectations of readers in that genre. You know, they may have just been looking at whether the story follows the right pattern and whether the character arcs are right and all the rest of it. So it is a slightly different thing editing for publication than just editing a book. I, I think that's a really good point that you make. I think, for, for, for again, I'm listening to you as a writer, and I, I know that, um, uh, that there'll be writers listening to, to this podcast, um, that, that the publisher is putting their own money into this. Um, and so there is a different hat that you put on uh, that the writer isn't really thinking about. Um, and kind of working, bringing that aspect out in that collab- collaborative process. Um, how uh, uh, can you think of an example or 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 sort of give some something that that you know that will help us and help future writers if they're going to submit something to you i think you need to be really clear about the genre you're writing in and what the expectations of that genre are so it's no use having a thriller that isn't fast paced um, it's no use having a romantic comedy that doesn't have some kind of romantic payoff at the end. Um, you know, the, you will just disappoint the reader and the reviews won't be great. And it's sad, but there are formats. You know, there are sort of certain things that people expect when reading a book and certain signposts you have to give and you know the best books either follow those or they somehow um, go against them but in a very clever way that they're still giving the reader a payoff of some sort at the end so that they don't feel they've wasted their time reading it. Um, could you, um, we've kind of di- di- dived straight into the kind of nitty gritty, but I wonder if we could pull back and perhaps you could share with us um, something, uh, some information about, you know, who, who your authors are and some of the books that uh, you've published recently or that you're particularly, um, you know, pleased with or proud of or um, so, so that we, we get a picture of the kind of books that Aurora Metro publishes now. Uh, well, we, we publish a lot of women's fiction. We publish historical fiction. We publish literary fiction. Uh, we publish YA fiction, work in translation. We also publish non-fiction books about culture and the arts. And we publish plays. And a lot of the plays we've published have been by black, Asian, minority, ethnic authors, women, gay writers, writers for young people disabled writers, people who are more on the outside. They're not in the mainstream. So how has diversity in the theatre evolved over the last few years? Well, 30 years ago when we published the very first collection of plays by black and Asian women writers, it was a very challenging um, scene, not only for women, but particularly for people from ethnic minorities. Um, there was very little money around to produce the plays and uh, the writers tended to end up in um, kind of development hell. 
where they were given one play reading or a workshop, but things never got to the stage of production. Um, and I think that went on for many years. Uh, we published uh, many plays by black and Asian writers over the years and also many plays by women. But I think the statistics did not really move. And it's only in the last couple of years that things have really started to open up. So the gatekeepers held on very, very tightly to their power. <laughs> and what do you think changed? Well, I think a lot of people have been banging on those doors. And, um, you know, I think the population in London has changed. Uh, we now have over 50% ethnic minorities. So, um, you know, the theatre is just out of date and not representative of its community anymore. So why do you think it's important that we have um, diversity in theatre? Why not just stick to, you know, good old Shakespeare and um, all, those, all those chaps? Well, if you want theatre to just be a sort of confection, um, I mean, I'm not saying you can't find new meaning in classic plays. Of course you can. But you want theatre to be part of the debate. And in order to do that, it has to show contemporary life on stage, contemporary issues. Um, it has to be part of the dialogue. And mm -hmm. unless, unless it's got diverse writers, then it won't be able to do that. And to some extent, um, you know, we think Shakespeare was an old, you know, he's an old guy, he's been around for 400 years. But of course, at that time that he was writing, he was tackling um, contemporary issues. Yes, I mean, I think I know from publishing plays from Eastern Europe that uh, they used Shakespeare's plays as a way of um, c communicating dissidents. So the classics can be uh, revived in exciting ways that can be subversive and challenging to the status quo. It's just that often they aren't. And of course, as times change, as language changes, um, and uh, the English language is always evolving with input from foreign languages and, and different, um, you know, kind of modern jargon and uh, and so on. It's, it is important. Well, of course, I'm, I'm from a Chinese background and, and I'm very keen to see diversity in theatre. It's just very interesting to hear, you know, your, your perspective as, as a publisher. Yes, well, I, as you know, we published the first collection of full-length uh, plays by uh, playwrights of British um, East Asian descent. And, um, you know, it's taken a long time to come about. When, you know, 30 years ago we were publishing a collection of plays by black and Asian writers, um, I think, you know, that community was was so marginalised that it wasn't even on my radar. Um, and it's taken a lot of work by people to, to bring it to the attention of the mainstream.
So, you know, you, you were talking um, about um, uh, earlier when we were talking about books about, you know, you need to have your commercial hat on uh, because you're you're putting your own money into it. Um, and so but also it feels to me that you've got actually a sort of a, a bigger purpose. Yes, of course, you've got to 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 to, to, to make a profit and, and, and in, in order for your Aurora Metro to, to keep going. But also you've got a larger, bigger societal purpose to to what you're doing. Yes, I mean, I've uh, always had the mission to uh, widen the circle and allow people on the margins to have a voice. Uh, I am an immigrant to this country myself. I grew up in Australia. I experienced displacement and culture change. And so I identify with immigrants and outsiders. Mm. And I think... That outsider perspective gives you uh, gives one uh, a sort of a new way of looking at uh, at any situation, um, and often I think writers do tend to be outsiders because we're the ones that sit quietly in the corner <laughs> um, observing, um, and uh, and I think that can bring a fresh light, a fresh way of doing things, a fresh way of looking at things um, into the the general discourse. Yes, but I think also being bicultural having uh, grown up in one place and moved to another or vice versa, um, you know, whichever culture you're writing with, you have, you know about another world and a way of doing things differently. And um, that can inform you when you're creating um, imaginary worlds as a writer Mm. that can help you. That's certainly true. So how, how do you choose a play? Um, what, what makes it stand out, you know, when you get your submissions? How do you kind of sift through everything and, and decide, well, we're going to publish this, but not that? Well, if you're doing an anthology, you need a range of things that are tackling different subjects and writing in different styles. So sometimes you might um, have two very similar plays and somehow you've got to choose between them. Um, and that's difficult, uh, but usually with plays, uh, people are quite original. Um, the good plays, you know, they're not copies. So there's a strong voice there and um, the intensity of the way it's being put across um, means that you can visualize the world of the play as you read it. Uh, I think with novels, uh, it's all about the voice, about the pace, about whether you want to turn the page, whether you want to carry on, whether you care about the characters, you know, all all the things that you experience when you you read any book. Um, You know, is there any pull or are you sort of forcing yourself to read on? Mm. And so um, with plays that you publish, do you publish ones, plays that have already been performed or do you publish ones which are sort of just scripts that have not actually been put on stage? We've done both. Um, And at the moment, I'm publishing a play that hasn't been produced yet. uh, It was due to go on tour, but the company didn't get their Arts Council grant. Um, but I said to the writer, you know, I think it's a great play. Let's publish it and get it out there so that you do get a production of it. 
Um, but usually I would publish alongside a production. We do a lot of program play texts where we're publishing it, um, a premiere production alongside, you know, working with the producers so that that uh, play text is sold as the play goes around the country. And um, we're doing one of those at the moment with a play um, called Shore to Shore, which is about um, uh, people of Chinese descent. And that's going to tour around the country. That's by Mary Cooper. Gosh, that sounds very interesting. Um, So you talked when we were talking about books, about working with the author to um, get the manuscript to a a point where it's exciting to read, it pulls you along, it has all those qualities. Um, With with playwrights, do you work with them in the same way? Or or do you, because it's already been produced, it's, well, here's the production script, there you have it. Yeah, no, we don't really do dra- much dramaturgy. Um, I mean, I have worked as a dramaturg before, but I think if the play's about to go on stage, then we just look for sort of factual errors or things that don't make sense to us and point them out to the author. Um, we have questions about things uh, when we're typesetting the play, but generally we wouldn't get involved in the kind of development of the play because it's usually, you know, like a month before it's about to go on stage and it's already in rehearsals. So in the interest of full disclosure for the listeners, um, my uh, play script, Bound Feet Blues, was published in the British East Asian Plays Anthology, published by Aurora Metro. And I just wanted to share some of my, uh, just my, it just what you said just prompted me to think, actually, it is interesting preparing the script for publication, because I wrote it for myself to perform. <laughs> so I knew what I meant when I put something in there. And of course, I worked with my director, Jessica Higgs, and, and because we were working together and, and talking about it, she knew what I meant. And, and But actually, just adding little bits and pieces for clarification, add, adding maybe some italics or some square brackets just to indicate a change of voice or paragraphing it um, or indenting it to show it's a different moment was quite challenging and quite interesting. And um, then to see it in an anthology and to see it as, oh, gosh, it could be performed by someone else. And in fact, it has been performed by um, Stephanie Van Driesen, who was one of the, uh, I interviewed her for a previous podcast, How to Be a Superstar. She did a 10-minute extract. And and so it, it it's very, very gratifying as a playwright to to have that opportunity um, to make something wider than, than oneself. So you, to, to you, Cheryl, thank you for, for that opportunity. My pleasure. And what I would say is that publication enables playwrights to have second productions and for their work to be studied by, um, you know, people around the world um, doing drama and theatre studies and that some of my playwrights would not have the careers they have today if their work had not been widely distributed around the world. Um, You know, they now get productions in America or Europe. Uh, because people have been able to buy their plays and read them. Wow. So, you know, it can make a difference. And that must be so gratifying for, for you too, to have been, uh, a, a, to have enabled, facilitated that. Yes, I mean, uh, it's great to be part of um, somebody's success. Um, and, you know, 
I guess I get some kind of validation that I've chosen well. <laughs> but um, yeah, it doesn't always happen that way. And uh, you know, pl- publishing plays is a is a very difficult market. So um, you know, it's not something that people can rush into and think that they're going to be able to make money at it. Mm. So. Aurora Metro is uh, behind the Virginia Prize for Fiction. Um, can you tell us uh, about that and sort of why you decided to create that prize and, and uh, just something about um, how people can submit and what it's all about? Yes, well, we started 30 years ago as um, a publishing house for women. And um, After 20 years, I did a kind of audit of what we were publishing and realized that two-thirds of our submissions were coming from men and that most of what we were publishing was by men. So I decided to set up uh, a competition for women novelists. We're in the same area that Virginia Woolf lived in for 10 years from the time of World War I. And so we uh, decided to name the prize after her because we felt she was inspirational for women writers. And so it's a biennial competition uh, which uh, takes novels from any woman over 18 writing in English from around the world. And we try and find novels to publish. So the prize is basically uh, editorial guidance for uh, women writers and um, publishing their work so that they they go up to that next stage of professional publication. And um, we've had quite a lot of success with that. We had uh, one winner, Fiona Rintoul, who's a Scottish writer. Her book was then shortlisted for the Saltire Award, which is the top literary prize in Scotland. And... Um, her book was also adapted as a BBC book at bedtime. So it can really help people, you know, to launch their career. That's quite amazing. And so the, the criteria are it's women over 18 from anywhere in the world writing in English um, and the manuscripts must not have been published before? No, they can't be published before. I mean, some people have like had a chapter published in an, in a, magazine or online we don't mind about that but if they've self-published the whole book before then that they've published it you know um so that wouldn't be eligible but um or if it's you know had been partially published in an earlier draft that would be eligible um but if it's out there with an ISBN and they've self-published it, then sorry, but they can't submit it. Yes, because ultimately the purpose is to help someone who hasn't been published. So that, that makes sense. And so you, you must be flooded uh, by submissions um, from all over the world. I mean, that's a huge sort of um, a very wide criteria. Uh, do I mean that? Yes, sort of uh, lots of people can, can, can enter. So how, how do you choose? Uh, we have a team of volunteers who help with the reading. And then we get it down to a long list. Then the judges read it and um, we arrive at some finalists. And and how long does that take? It must be a huge it can take. It, can take, it usually takes six months at least. Wow. So it's, it's a very long process. And 
to do it properly, you know, writing reports on each manuscript. And, uh, you know, just the administration of it is quite a big task. Um, so we can only do it biennially um, because of the, you know, the time it takes. And and for you, what do you get out of it out of all this hard work? For, for, for the author, it's obvious, but, but, but for you guys, Aurora Metro? Well, because we have a commitment to trying to get um, new women novelists published and finding new talent, uh, you know, that's, that's what's in it for us. And, you know, also because we've been doing this in honour of Virginia Woolf for 10 years now, uh, it's also uh, inspired us to do another project, which is to try and raise money for a statue of Virginia Woolf in Richmond. Wow, that would be um, fantastic. Yeah, so we've raised about 10,000 so far of the 50,000 target we need. Um Shockingly, there is no full-size statue uh, in public of Virginia Woolf in this country, even though the BBC, you know, have got her in their icons of the 20th century series. You know, they reg- she's up there with Picasso, and yet there is no statue of her. There's a bust in Bloomsbury, which she apparently detested. Um, but, you know, we haven't honoured this major literary figure of the 20th century. So, uh, you know, that is another project we're committed to at the moment and trying to find corporate sponsors and people to donate money towards us uh, realising that. Wow. So this is a, another um, important cause because it's Virginia Woolf, but also a representation of uh, a female literary figure, a big uh, icon of the 20th century that represents, I mean, there, you know, there are generally not enough statues of great women anyway. So this is, a, this will contribute to, to that, um, you know, that, that public space of seeing uh, women honoured for their talent and their work. So very valuable indeed. Um, so for people, uh, I suppose there's two things. For people who want to contribute to, to the good cause of the Virginia Woolf statue, is there somewhere they can go to do that? Yes, we've got a My Donate page um, and they can donate uh, on that page. You just go to BT My Donate, um, put in Virginia Woolf statue and you'll find it. Um, you can also find it on our charity website, which is Aurora Metro Charity, um, and look for the Virginia Prize, uh, sorry, the Virginia Wolf Statue Project. Um, and yeah, please donate because. And I'll, I'll put a link to all that um, on the show notes page just to, to save you from scribbling madly at this point. Um, Great. Okay, that'd be wonderful. And if they want to submit a novel to the competition, then the entry form for this year isn't ready yet, but it should be ready within the next few weeks. Great. So you heard it here first on the uh, on the podcast um, in the few weeks you can click on the Aurora Metro website um, and go through to submit your your unpublished novel if you are a woman over 18 writing in English anywhere in the world yeah that's it fantastic and, and again we, 
we Sorry, look I'll... forward to receiving them. Fantastic, and I'll, I'll put the link that uh, of that for, for that on the show notes page as well. Um, now, you, you mentioned the arts and education charity. Could 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 you tell us more about that? Well, um, the charity was really um, set up to uh, do specific projects for the community. One of the first things we did was um, an exhibition about the suffragettes. That was in 2010. And we put on a reading of a play called How the Boat Was Won, which had originally been produced in 1910 in Twickenham. So we put it on again in 2010, 100 years later, at the Orange Tree Theatre. And we had a lot of other things going on as well. We had an exhibition which attracted about 6,000 people. And we had talks with people like Shirley Williams um, about the suffragettes. So because 2018 was the centenary of some women getting the vote, we revised our exhibition and we toured it in pop-up banner form around seven different venues around the southeast of England, um, including taking it to a military museum in Winchester, uh, which was quite good fun because oh, we got some we got some women's history into that museum. Um, and our pop-up banners were surrounded by the Battle of Waterloo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Gosh. So really just talking to you over this um, very short period, you know, your energy and your commitment and purpose and drive um, for this larger purpose than just publishing books and, and plays, it's, it's really quite inspiring, Cheryl Robson. really is. Well, thank you very much. I mean, um, you know, we try and do projects that we feel inspired by because, um, you know, that keeps you alive, doesn't it? <laughs> Indeed, something that sets your heart on fire. Um, wonderful. Um, now, what is your advice for any emerging writers and playwrights who may be listening to this uh, around creating works, work that stands out, that's going to grab the imagination, not just of a publisher, but, you know, readers, theatre goers, um, people out there? I think if you're a novelist, then there are a lot of really good creative writing um, degrees around, and I'd advocate going on one of those. Um, and you know, you can write your novel as part of the degree, um, and get really good feedback over the course of the year. And a lot of those courses are now publishing like anthologies of the work, and um, helping people get agents and things. And the one in um, East Anglia is particularly good. I think as a playwright, um, there are lots of um, short play festivals, good place to start. Um, try and get a network, try and, you know, get contacts with directors, producers, actors. And, you know, you can put on your own readings to start off with and invite people along. That's but, uh, you know, I, I don't know what else you can do, really. I don't think that has changed very much over 30 years. You know, you just have to kind of have a lot of luck, oh, yeah. meet the right people at the right yeah. time. Keep writing, tell people about your work, get out there. Um, yeah, I think the only thing that's changed is social media has made it somewhat easier to promote yourself. Um, without spending a vast amount 
of money. So there are networks on Facebook for playwrights. You can join those. You can publicize yourself on there. You can ask for help. You can ask for colleagues. Um, all that stuff's good. Um, and, and does Aurora Metro, um, uh, are you open to uh, uh, unsolicited submissions or do, you, do do they need to go through an agent? No, we accept unsolicited submissions. We have them sort of pouring in since we um, agreed to accept things by email. The problem for us is reading them all. Um, it's really, really challenging because, um, you know, I would really need to employ somebody full-time to do that as a job to keep on top of it. And, um, you know, it, it, it just becomes impossible really to keep up with the uh, flow of submissions that come in nowadays. Mm. So I think in, in terms of for, for, for playwrights, somehow I feel if there are sort of um, having having written novels and, uh, and and a play that with a playwright, there is a little bit more kind of um, uh, self-empowerment because, as you say, you can get uh, some people together. You can put on a reading, hire a room upstairs in a pub or invite your friends. You can get it out there in a sort of slightly quicker way if you like it may not be more uh, formal but it sort of at least you then can get feedback and you can um, develop it and 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 so on do do you think that that's a fair comment yes I think uh, you know it's a collaborative process playwriting so as long as you've got a few friends who are willing to do a reading uh, you can try it out test it out get some feedback rewrite it go again with novels um, There are plenty of forums you can do that. You can join writing groups, um, you can get feedback, you can rewrite, you can send it out to publishers. Uh, There are also forums, there are things like Wattpad, where you can publish chapters and get feedback on chapters. Um, There's self-publishing, so a lot of authors now don't see the need for a publisher at all. They will just self-publish. And I think um, if you're just writing a one-off novel, it's not so successful. But if you're writing a series, which a lot of people are doing now, then um, there are ways of uh, making some money if you can get um, a following for your series and you can sell each book to your followers. um, Then, you know, there's possibilities there that weren't there before. That's great. That's a range of advice from Cheryl Robson, um, Managing Editor at Aurora Metro. Now, if people want to find out more about you and Aurora Metro, where, where should they go? Uh, they just go on to our website, www.aurorametro.com, and they can see what books we publish, see whether what they're writing has any sort of synergy with what we're publishing. Um, so they can contact us, they can submit things, they can phone us up for a chat. Um, we're pretty accessible. Fantastic. Cheryl Robson, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Our creative conversation today was with Cheryl Robson, founder and managing editor of Aurora Metro Books. 
There are photos and links to some of the things we talked about on the show notes page. The bit.ly short link for that is bit.ly bit.ly forward slash creative conversations hyphen podcast. You can also Google Creative Conversations CCV0206 Cheryl Robson on Aurora Metro Books. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Conversations podcast, please share it with your friends wherever you share stuff. The Creative Conversations podcast is produced by tigerspirit.co.uk. The podcast web link again is bit.ly bit.ly forward slash creative conversations hyphen podcast. I'm Yang Mei Ui. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at Tiger Spirit UK. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Yeah.